welcome to the Free Cities podcast. My name is Timothy Allen, and this is the official podcast of the Free Cities Foundation. Hello, and welcome to episode number 49 of the Free Cities podcast. Well, this week I have another episode for you that was recorded at Liberty in Our Lifetime, and it's a light-hearted chat I had with one of the newest members of our Free Cities Foundation's team, Natalie Denelishen. Now, I should probably confess something before we go on. When we originally arranged to record this conversation a few weeks ago, the only free slot Natalie had in her busy conference schedule was the two-hour window just after she arrived in Prague. So what ended up happening was she literally came to my studio directly from the airport and from what had turned out to be a rather long and sleepless 28-hour journey from the US. Anyway, between the slurred words and bouts of propping her eyes open with matchsticks, we did eventually manage to home in on a number of topics in our chat from Ron Paul, the Mises Institute, and her personal mission to end the Fed, to homeschooling, inflation, and how to win at Elon's new Twitter, when like her, you're trying to spread ideas of freedom and liberty. To be honest, it's lucky for me that Natalie is such a good sport. Most people I know wouldn't have been so polite, so thanks for coming on, and I look forward to part two in the future sometime. Lastly, just to remind you that the Free Cities Foundation has published three new books in the last few weeks. There's an updated version of Titus Gable's book, Free Private Cities, that has six new chapters, including updates and lessons from the movement so far. And if that's of interest to you, then look out for a podcast I did with Titus coming up in the next few weeks, which was all about the new book. There is also Alex Voss's new book, Strategies for Liberty, Free Cities and Bitcoin, and Calvin Dukes's Entrepreneurial Communities, an alternative to the state. All of these books are fantastic and can be found on our website, free-cities.org forward slash books. Doesn't get much easier than that. So get yourself over there when you have a moment. But of course, in the meantime... Just sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Natalie Denelishen. Am I being detained? No, this is almost <laughs> certainly a, an interrogation. <laughs> um, now, I know you work for the Free Cities Foundation, and I know that we speak on a Zoom call every week, and... Um, we do have we we talk on wire and we do you know and this sort of, but I don't know um, much else about you so I'm going to use this as a public interrogation <laughs> to find out who you are and what you're doing oh and I know you you tweet a lot that's my other thing that I know oh about yeah you. my tweets you've got a lot you always appear on my tw- timeline Twitter timeline in fact I think Twitter would be an interesting discussion because um, you're somebody who has made Twitter a real big platform for yourself, haven't you? 
And I think a lot of people always want to do that, especially if you have a, if you have any kind of ideas that you really want to spread and you really want to, you, you, you want to get your ideas out there. Um, everyone wants to do that on Twitter, but not many people actually end up doing that. And I think it's because there's a knack to being good at Twitter, isn't there? A little bit, yeah. Like, did, you know, how do you win at Twitter? Tell, tell, how do you get so many followers on Twitter? It, it really was just standing to my principles all these years. I would make tweets and they would go viral. Um, it, it does help that bigger accounts that follow me retweet. Um, but it was just grinding every day in and out. Um, there were, if, if you notice, a lot of... Uh, more of the famous people tend to be up at 3 a.m., like Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> there's your, like, hint for the day. But, um, yeah, he, he's up at, like, 3 a.m. tweeting. And if you can be one of the first tweets uh, or one of the first replies on one of those tweets, you, you can definitely get, like, a 1,000 likes easy. If you're witty, you have to have some wit to your reply to. And if you're really lucky, you can actually get Elon Musk reply, which I have had several now. So wait a minute. Do you, so it's not just about being funny no. and being witty. It's about being an Elon reply guy. Well, it's not just an Elon reply guy. Because I remember, do you remember when um, Trump was on Twitter? Yeah. There were some incredible... There was well, no, There were some incredible reply guys there. I'm not being funny. There was a couple of guys who would just instantly appear. Now, yeah. were they did they have a bot doing that or did they did they really just sit there refreshing his feed? Now, if if you notice like Elon has, you know, tweeted a lot lately about bots and I, I do think that the bot replies are coming down significantly. So, I think that's one great thing Elon has done for the platform, but if you actually just hit the little bell on Twitter and notify have have twitter notify you when these people tweet you can easily be one of the first people replying to their comments because you got a notification that they made a comment so you can just very quickly get in there slide on in there and you know try to get your idea out there because no matter what they're, they're when people go look at this comment in the comments under it you're going to be one of the first if you can get in first and that that's one great way to you know spread the ideas and I, you know, I, I've had people accuse me of horrible things like paying for my followers and stuff. No, I have never done that. It's all pure organic. Um, see, they, they, they delete bot accounts too over time. I and, know that because yeah. my, my number of followers just always goes down. It goes down. <laughs> Mine keeps going up. But, um, I'm not funny on Twitter though. I try. I have never quite... Do you want me to put you on notification? I, I've never quite... Well, I, the, look, the problem I have with Twitter and most social media is I hardly ever post. Mm -hmm. Because, and I've, I haven't posted for weeks on my Twitter because I go through phases of just not... Like I, I've got 10, what, about 9,000 followers, right? Which probably I should be growing that, shouldn't I? I should you be should. Going that, that's for actually it. a good, good platform of 9,000. That's That's good. You know, that I started at less than that. You know, everybody starts at zero. Yeah. And then you grow from there. But how do I make myself want to post, though? Like, I can't be bothered to post. I, I like, I, I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you I have just, anything that you're passionate about? You yeah. Get, I, All yeah, this stuff. so just tweet it. I suppose. It doesn't have to be professional, it can be yourself. Like, for me, I am rambunctious and. Uh, 
wild sometimes. Rambunctious. Yeah, rambunctious. You'll have to explain that one to me. I've heard the word a number of times. What does it well, mean? Well, sometimes I post cleavage pictures with like in the Fed and... Cleavage pictures with in <laughs> the Fed. But I really want it in the Fed. So it's a good way to, you know, get those bot tweets, you know, likes or whatever. But, and, you know, those simp follows. But um, I'm, I'm talking about my followers now. I shouldn't do that. That's mean <laughs> but uh, you know they're they're great people and they just want to get that message out there and a lot of people do help me try to do that and that's another thing is just once you get out there and you get your message out there and then you get your crowd of people that want to get your message out there it just grows from there what i've noticed about your tweets though are they're easy tweets to share this is the problem i have yes. with twitter right the can- one i'm thinking of right which I thought was really cool and really good. And I thought, ah, if I'd have thought of that, I probably would have done that, was that you made an AI picture of some really (laughs) buxom, like, um, Swedish-looking people in Oktoberfest gear and said something along the lines of, remember... Um, Halloween is not your excuse. My, to, my culture is not your costume. Yeah, yeah. My culture is not your costume, which is very funny. And presumably you thought that yourself and you went to AI in mid-journey and you typed it in and you got it. Right. I don't think like that. I think that's the problem. I, I don't think like that. You've got to click into this. I didn't always think like that. I, I mean, I was, I was, you know, very proper growing up. And I really didn't get rambunctious to my 20s, but... I mean, I think it's something that you just have to grow into over time. And if you want that engagement, you have to know how to have that reactive ability, get those reactions out of people and and get them, you know, either angry at you, agreeing with you or completely pissed off at you. Right. But there's my, here's my point. Does that change hearts and minds? This is what I don't get. I feel like the reason I don't tweet really is because I know I'm not really changing hearts and minds. And I'll tell you why. Because every time I read something on Twitter, I, I, I absorb the news, you know, and I absorb the theory. But if it's something I don't really agree with or something funny, I'm already, it's almost like my mind's already made up on Twitter. You know, I'm already like, ha yeah, that's funny because I'm like that. Not, oh, my God, that's profoundly changed the way I think about um, culture or something. So. If you go look at my Twitter, you will see that I definitely do use the kiss principle in multiple posts. I What's keep- that mean? keep it simple stupid like just keep it simple and keep it direct um and another thing that i think a lot of people don't understand is that you don't have to be some philosopher or something on twitter you can just be your basic self get your message out there and you don't have to change hearts and minds you just have to make people think that's my goal on my Twitter account, at least. I just want people to think, like, look at another way that this could be done or look at another way that this could be fixed. Uh, you know, competing currencies is the thing I talk about. Um, and the Fed, abolishing the Fed, that would be great. But, you know, it's just all these things. And it's just, maybe it's, I am a chess player. My, my handle is chesschick01. But I don't know. I, I look at, at the world not through like a keyhole, but as like a chessboard with multiple moves. And, you know, you see people putting themselves into boxes and getting, you know, checkmated. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you making that move? And then it's moves and counter moves. And that, that's something that I, I consider, especially with like the left on Twitter. And it's fun to mess with them. It really is. I'm sorry. And, you know, if, if you think about it, um, I messed with uh, Barack Obama last week and Hillary Clinton. 
I told her she had a higher body count than a moss, and that went over very well. It got 14,000 likes. So I got like 2,000 followers from that. So, you know, yeah, but and it's probably true. Can we just agree it probably is? Because, you know, she has a lot of friends that go missing. Yes, I know. But here's the thing, Natalie. Is that changing hearts and minds? Like messing with the left, as you say. Um, yeah, more certainly easy to do. Messing with anyone who's ideologically captured is very easy to do, I think it's fair to say. But what does it achieve? Well, you know, other people see their posts and it makes them question. Even if people can be on the fence about something, you can put that post forward and then basically they, they, they either swing with you, or they swing against you, or they block you, or they call you, you know, Hitler or Nazi or whatever. But, you know... I'm not going to change those people's minds. The people who already hate me, the people who call me a Nazi or Hitler or anything else, whatever, I'm not going to change their mind. And I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. Those people are a lost cause. You know, so I, I'm really focusing on the people who are on the fence, who could swing both ways. You know, of, of course, you know, I, I do lean more conservative. I lean more right. So I, I have those friends out there, but You'd be, it would be, it's amazing what you can do when you just put yourself out there. And people don't understand that. Um, it's like Rob Schneider is a good friend of mine. Do you know we met on Twitter? Wait a minute. Rob Schneider is who? He's a famous American actor. Yes. Well, What's he been in? Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. You know, almost every Adam Sandler movie. So there's actually a picture of me and him. Oh, come on. Tell me. I've got to remember who he is in real life. Name some other film he's been in. Deuce Bigelow, Man no, Jigelow. not that one. <laughs> I love that one, though. Um, Rob, he's such a that name means so many. The times. Hot Chick. There's just a bunch of comedy movies. I, I have. I can't think of them all off the top of my head. Wait a minute. Go on. Keep talking. I'm going to Google. Yeah, it. I mean, because so I, wanna, I am uh, coming off. I am doing this podcast off of a 14-hour flight and no oh, sleep. Yeah. Like I forgot days. actually we were going to say we were going to mention that we were going to mention that and then I just Display. hit my head on a door handle in the bathroom so I probably have a concussion. Okay. And I tried some Turkish coffee too, so I don't know where this podcast is going. It go anywhere. Right. I've just Googled him. Let's have a look. Oh, my God. He was no. in SNL for like 10 years. I love this guy. I, I, I adore him. Hold on a minute. It didn't work. Rob Schneider. Everybody's going to be Googling Rob Schneider now. Oh, him. Right. Yes. Okay. Right. Oh, wait a minute. Is that, what's, what's that one there? Is that the film that you were talking about? The Gigolo film? No. I don't think that's the Gigolo film. No. Right, okay. People are going to listen to this. Yeah, it's, no, it's the, the, this is top-notch free cities content. <laughs> Who is Gigolo. Rob Schneider? Mary Gigolo. But anyway, I met him through Twitter. And, and you know, you can meet, um, I, I met uh, Thomas Massey through Twitter. Um, Congressman Thomas Massey. Uh, I met you know, senators and stuff through Twitter. Uh, I've been able to go to the Hill and meet with these people. It's just been an awesome experience. And this is everything I've been able to do on this platform. The great thing about Twitter is it's like an even playing field. If they don't block you, you can reply to anybody and get your voice out there. And I don't think people understand that. Yes, you have to make an effort, but nothing in life really comes easy, does it? Do you think, um, <clears throat> how, how do you feel... Or let's say, on what side of the fence are you with the whole pre-Elon, post-Elon Twitter? I, um, so I don't mention this very often, but I am pro-Elon 
But before Elon even started mentioning he was, you know, going to buy Twitter and bring back freedom of speech, you know, I, I was kind of anti-Elon a little bit. And I'm kind of ashamed to admit that now because, you know, I might not agree with everything he does now, but I agreed with much less before. But I've watched him kind of morph into more of a freedom person over the years. And it's been interesting to watch. And it's like, yeah, I'll fully support it. Uh, as soon as he rolled out the eight a month, I bought a subscription. I subscribed to Elon as well, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. People are like, oh, she played, paid for a blue check. But you know what? Elon Musk did something that um, pre-Twitter, pre-Elon, never did. Um, they banned all my friends. Like, all my friends were banned on Twitter. I was, It was starting to really get dwindled down. Um, I, I even think, like, Jordan Peterson got banned at one point, if mm. I'm not mistaken. Yes. My friend Michael Rechtenwald got banned. Um Josie Wales got banned. I mean, there were just all of my liberty-leaning, freedom-fighting friends were getting banned on Twitter, and they were disappearing at a rapid pace under Twitter 1.0. But under Elon Twitter, he brought them all back. And I have mad respect for that. I mean, he kept his word, and he brought back almost all banned. There are a few there. I mean, like, he didn't bring back Alex Jones. And I know his personal reasons on that. Do but you? Yeah. Can you say them? Like why? Oh, he why he's, he's tweeted about it. I mean, he didn't. He doesn't want to bring back Alex Jones because he brought children into the whole thing, and Elon having children himself. He has, I don't know how many ten. I lost. Are you saying was it that the Sandy Hook thing? Right? Yeah, that was the Sandy Hook thing. What do you mean he brought children into it? He just said the children. Isn't it right that Alex Jones said that the whole thing was a psyop? The children didn't really die, and. Is that what he that said? Was a, that was what Alex Jones said. But, yeah. you know, Elon, he really, he didn't agree with it. You know, personally, I think they've gone off after Alex Jones quite enough. But, and sometimes he's right. You know, there's like Alex Jones jar in my house. You put a dollar in it every time something he predicts comes right. You know, it's getting kind of full these days. But, <laughs> you know. I don't know. In I'm the what? end, I mean, you just have to understand that from a libertarian perspective, if you know, you can give your product to somebody or you can't, you know, you do have that choice. You don't have to see freedom of speech. Doesn't mean you, yes, you have the freedom to spout hate, but you know, people have the freedom not to listen to that hate mm -hmm. as well. There's two sides of that coin and Elon, you know, he's picking and deciding, but for the most part, he did bring back all my band friends on Twitter. My, my thoughts on Alex Jones are that, <clears throat> Alex Jones, if you listen to Alex Jones, he, he's quite obviously quite out there in many respects. But that doesn't bother me. Like mm -hmm. if he said that Sandy Hook was a, a psyop and nobody, none of the children actually got killed, I'd think, well, that's probably not real true. Yeah. But then I'd move on. I don't understand why. Gay frogs. Well, yeah, frog. One of the gay frogs things actually came true, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, no? it did. <laughs> no, but like... But but the point be the point is, why is he so? Why is Alex Jones so dangerous? This is what I don't understand, because mostly when I listen to him, I'm like, my God, it's like a it's like a a pastime. If you want to have a bit of fun, go and listen to Alex Jones. And see yeah. What, see what his latest rant is. Yeah. But so why is he dangerous? I don't understand. I don't think he's dangerous. No, but why I, do I, they think he's dangerous? Well, I think they just want complete control of the narrative. Can I, you switch that off? Is it yours? Yeah, I can't. I don't know how to. Switch your phone off. <laughs> you don't, do you? You've never switched no, your phone off. <laughs> it's, oh, there we go. Um, 
text messages. It no, beeps. but seriously, it's, it's just my daughter. Repeating. Why do people want to ban Alex Jones? I don't understand. Why do people want to ban him? Because they want complete control of the narrative, pretty much. That's my opinion. But what about Elon then? Because he doesn't, does he? He's a free speech. Advocate. Well, see, the difference between um, Elon Musk and Alex Jones is Elon has fuck you money. Excuse my language, but he does, and uh, he he can he has the power to just you know say okay whatever. Yeah, but why Alex Jones? But do you see that they're doing the same thing to Elon Musk that they're doing to Alex Jones? They are going after him for ridiculous things lately. Yeah, I know. It's been it's been one battle after another that he's had to fight. And what was the latest one? But here you go. Sorry to butt in. Look, here's what I mean. Why is Alex? Why why ban some people? All right. The free speech argument that make, re, most resonates with me is you can say whatever you want other than um, if you're basically trying to rally people together to sort of like kill someone or you're, you know, like there, there's quite, there, there's a very common, I mean, to be honest, at, at a base level, I'm probably an abs, a free speech absolutist. I think you should be able to say whatever you want. I really don't care what you say. But when you think about society, you do appreciate that, you know, someone can, you know, you can, you can do a lot of damage with some types of speech, which is totally unnecessary. But other than that, I don't get why Elon would want to ban someone like Alex Jones, who, for the most part, if you'd never heard of Alex Jones and you started listening to him, you'd think, who is this guy? He's just talking a load of nonsense. And then you'd walk away. I don't quite get why why Elon didn't go free speech. Yeah, that includes Alex Jones. Well, if we're, we're going to bring in some you know private property arguments into this. Uh, you know, it, it's Elon Musk's platform. He can do whatever he yeah, wants. Yeah. I know and, he can. I'm just saying much, why. But but it doesn't necessarily like like I said, you have the right to free speech and you have the right to hate speech. So it's two sides of the same coin. You have a right to say it. Alex Jones can Alex Jones, I'm sorry, can go off and rant about it, you know, in his basement to how many people subscribe to him. Elon can't stop him. And he's still getting that in. But on his platform, he can stop him. And to me, I think that that you have a personal right to that. It goes back to, you know, if if somebody comes onto your property or your land, you should be able to stop them if they're an intruder, correct? Correct, but see, I'm not you can I'm apply not. this to the the uh, a free platform as well. I mean, yeah, you, you can't just walk on other people's property. Well, you can't walk into somebody else's platform and start spewing hate. Um, but is that it? Do you think then it's just because he's spewing hate? As which I find that word hate is a very it's difficult a very thing difficult to cause. I don't know what yeah, it means. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it either. Um, to be honest, and. Personally, I think that everybody should have the freedom to hate, but, you know, at the well, same we do, time. Don't we, really? Well, we do, yeah. I mean, there's been court rulings on it and everything. But at the same time, I think what it boils down to is that, you know, Alex Jones doesn't own the Twitter platform, X platform. I'm sorry, we keep calling it Twitter, mm. but it's X now. I should I should clarify that. I, I I wholeheartedly agree that Elon can do whatever he wants. But I'm trying yeah. to work out why he would ban Alex Jones because there's a he's part, talked about it. There's a part of me that well, you, you said because he brought children into the thing, but yeah. that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that um, Elon would really care about. <laughs> well, I don't know. He has ten kids, and he's very much a father family guy. If you follow his tweets, he's pro life, pro human, pro kid. You know, he, he keeps talking about the depopulation of the society and how 
And he's completely correct. We need to have more kids. Hmm. Society won't last much longer if we don't. I didn't know Elon had 10 kids. Yeah, it might be 11 now. With who? Like Multiple baby mamas, yeah. Is he? Yeah. I didn't know that. He seriously has a gazillion kids, yeah. So he's had a load of relationships and there's kids... Three, he's three, not talking three, about adopting kids or anything. Three ladies, I believe. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I suppose he's a billionaire. He can do whatever he wants. Can't yeah. He? Repopulate <laughs> the earth. Go for it, buddy. Maybe he's building a tribe of people to take to You know what? Mars. Everybody needs a baseball team. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's just how it is. I I have three, so it's a start. You know. Yeah, me, me too. When I, when I was really young, actually, I, I really wanted to have kids. And it was one of my top priorities in life. And... I'm really happy I did. It feels strange now because I'm only 36, but my son, he just turned 17. And he already graduated high school last year, so. I've, I've got all that to come. I started later in life. Um, but um, my first, my eldest daughter has just gone to what we call secondary school. So, mm. And she's already changed in like whatever, six weeks it's been since she's been there. And she's already like... I always knew that there a time would come when my relationship with her would start changing, and I was didn't want it to happen because I love, but it's happened, and it's happening. And she's still a really cool kid, and she loves her dad and everything. But she's getting her independence now, and it's a real shame. It's very strange. <laughs> it is. Me. I mean, like the, yeah. the worst thought is what what happens when they all do that, and then they all go. That's a that's going to be a very strange <laughs> strange experience to be in a house with my wife going, my God, where's everyone yeah, gone? <laughs> my youngest child, um, I'll be forty nine when she turns eighteen, so yeah, that will be a shock. Maybe I'll get a puppy at fifty. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about um, how you've ended up working at the Free Cities Foundation, because <clears throat> as far it's as I can tell, really you don't just you don't just stumble across. A job at the Free Cities Foundation. You have to be in revolve in various circles because. So, so what's what you know? Talk, talk a little bit about um, where you, what you've done in the past, where you've come from, how you end up with a Twitter account saying "end the Fed" to large numbers of people. Well, that was just me working hard all of these years, just working diligently on my Twitter account. Um, but yeah, I actually started working for the Mises Institute a long, long time ago. Um, between, you know, volunteer years and working years, it's been about 11 years total that I worked for them. And unfortunately I've, I've separated. But how do you end up working for the Mises Institute? Like what gets you into being a libertarian? You're like, like you're a card carrying Uh, libertarian. I'm not a card carrying libertarian, believe it or not. No, you're right. No, but I am a Ron Paul supporter. And I do support the Mises Caucus and stuff and all their efforts over the years. Um, can you just, before we go on, can you talk a little bit about Ron Paul? Because Ron Paul was, mm-hmm. I think, quite a uniquely American thing. Like, you know, you're ever, so many Americans got into libertarian ideas through Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about Ron Paul in Europe, we, we know who he is, but I don't think the same thing happened. Just the fact that you guys know who he is is, is a miracle itself because, you know, not everybody even in America knows who Ron Paul is, but a lot of people do. And well, he he's just this amazing guy. He delivered 4,000 babies as a doctor and then decided he needed to go into Congress. And he decided when he was in there, you know, he, he served on and off. I forget all the numbers throughout the years. 
But um, yeah, he was in and out because he, he served in Congress and then he went back to his practice and then he went back to Congress. But um, he, yeah, so I, I got in through him and it wasn't actually just meeting him. It was just learning and reading about him because he was running for president in 2006, uh, 2007. And I remember being... Who was that against back then? Oh, gosh. Obama. Obama. Was it Obama? I can't remember. Oh, man, they're just running together these days. But um, so, yeah, he, he, I got into it. I, I was heavily, you know, pregnant with my son and I was just thinking about his future. And then this guy comes on the TV and starts talking about how, you know, our currency's going down the drain and we need to abolish the Fed and uh, we need to end the war. And I'm just like, wow, this guy makes a lot of sense. You know, I was just so, I, I, you know, it was like instant. I love this guy. And he's like this grandpa guy and uh, he's still going. He's 87, I think, I believe. Yeah, that's his age. And he's still going every day on, you know, freedom podcasts and stuff. He does Liberty Report and he has the Ron Paul Institute, which is run um, by Daniel McAdams, who's a fantastic person as well. You should follow them on Twitter. Was he a candidate for the Libertarian Party? Uh, that was in, uh, yeah, that was in, I want to say 1999. 1989 something he that was his first run and then his run in 2008 and 2012 he was on the republican ticket okay but as a as a libertarian or just as a republican with libertarian leanings is in 2008 and 2012 was republican with libertarian leanings i was going to say because we you don't hear many republicans saying in the fed do you no i wish i mean you have thomas massey but he's like how how does he get away with saying in the fed as a republican then how does, how does he become a... How do they... I don't get that. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure how he got away with it all these years without getting on some kind of blackmail list. Or, I'm sure he is on a blackmail list or something. But, uh, yeah, he's just been able to get that message out there and keep it going and, you know, just that peace message. And we needed that so much all these years. But that's how I found the Mises Institute because every time Ron Paul would get up and speak... Um, he would talk about, you know, Hayek and Mises and all these people. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to check them out. And so, yeah, we, I moved to Auburn, Alabama for a bit. And I worked, uh, I, I went to the Mises Institute. My kid's father, he was a summer fellow at the Mises Institute as well while he was getting his master's at Auburn University. So um, I was offered a position there as a groundskeeper believe it or not. I, groundskeeper. I was a groundskeeper. A gardener. I was a gardener. Nice. Good so job. I started from the bottom and, you know, worked your way up. But um, yeah, I, I loved it. I did that for two years. But then in 2012, you know, we went our separate ways and I went to DC and I, I worked as a chef for a few years, believe it or not. I can cook very well. Um, I've had a weird... What, you were <laughs> Weird history. You we le- we left, can keep going. You left the Mises Institute and went to work as a chef. Yeah. Did you apply anything you'd learned from the Mises Institute no. as a chef? No. No, not really. Just yeah. how to dice quickly, you know. <laughs> Julianne. <laughs> Julianne the Fed. <laughs> so, I mean... And okay, so um, but uh, while I was there, I actually did. Uh, I was asked to speak on uh, RT, you know, RT I've television. Spoken, I've been on RT, I've yeah, been. so that was fascinating. So I, I did get to do a little bit of liberty stuff while I was there, and um, 
But then I, uh, my grandma got sick, and I had to move back to Ohio to help my mom and my dad. Um, so I've been in Ohio for like the last, I don't know, 12 years now. And then, you know, at one point my daughter, um, she got sick. She got kidney failure at three. So um, I decided to quit my job at that time and just focus on getting my social media presence out there. And I worked on that for several years. And then I started making these memes, these quote memes, right? And uh, it would just be Austrian economists with their picture, uh, kind of fancy, kind of not. And I, I just was doing this um, for at least two years. And then Jeff Dice became president of the Mises Institute. And he saw all these memes. And he was like, you know, I like these. I'm going to hire this girl. And he hired me. And uh, as far as I know, he hired me without previously knowing I worked for the Mises Institute. So I got hired for the Mises Institute twice, not once, but twice. <laughs> so that's f interesting. Um, I was never staff. I was always a contractor. But it was still a very uh, fun experience to just dig through knowledge all these years. So I did the memes, and then it went on to other things like Booker, media, outreach type stuff. So it's just, it's been fun over the years, and it's been a lot, but... Um, Can I ask you a question then? As someone who <clears throat> is experienced in getting the libertarian message out there in a way that's digestible, let's say, or that's funny, or that's <laughs> like, you know... Because I think probably... Libertarians in general don't have a very good, much of a, they, they don't have a very good, they're not considered to be good at getting the message out there. Is that fair to say? They suck at it. Right, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what, what do you think they're doing wrong? And They're very reactive. And I think you shouldn't be reactive to your fellow libertarians. You should be reactive to the left and the evil monstrous type I'm, I'm i'm not talking about like the libertarian left i'm talking about like stop hating on left versus right in libertarian circles and start focusing on the enemy which is the state okay maybe we should expand that a bit then it's about getting the message of freedom out there yeah what do people do wrong in getting the message of freedom out there and what do you think you do right well does get it out there. i don't talk about age of consent being lowered which is something a lot of libertarians do talk about and it's creepy can we just get that out there like no full stop just leave that alone we, we you know we have world war three starting over here we have the value dollar being devalued over here you know and we have these crony people in the middle just causing all these problems and basically you guys are talking about some BS thing over here that's not even relevant relevant to the fall of Rome over here, you know? So it's it's like guys just focusing on the worst possible things, you know? You not being able to smoke pot in all states isn't a really big thing right now, okay? <laughs> you know, let's save that on the back burner uh, and stay, you know, just... If you want to get your message out there, you need to just really focus on the worst possible things that people are suffering. Look at inflation right now. The average housewife or mother or father can walk into the store right now and easily walk out paying 800 USD. So, uh, and that's for one grocery trip for maybe two weeks. That's my bill for two weeks. And that's almost my rent as well. 
So actually my rent's double that. So people are struggling really hard and they're not going to make it if this keeps going and it's going to keep going. And I know it's going to keep going. Inflation is going to get much worse because, you know, I studied the charts. I've watched the trends. I, I, I know what's coming and it, it's probably, it could even become hyperinflation. And I don't want to say it. I mean, you know, we're, we're looking at that. And I don't understand why libertarians don't try to put that message out there. Now, there's a few libertarians, wonderful ones on Twitter, like Peter St. Ange. He does these videos. He tries to get the message out. Um, my other friend, his uh, Twitter page is Wall Street Silver. His is a great account to get out there. So, I mean, you have these people that are getting the message out, but then they're kind of being drowned out by the people down here talking about, you know, oh, so-and-so kicked somebody out of an organization because they said a mean thing on Twitter, which actually just happened to somebody recently. Oh, we don't like your mean tweets. I think I'm interviewing him. Are you talking about yeah. Jeremy? Yeah, have fun with that. Jer- Jeremy is like a friend of mine. I, I think he's a good guy. I really do. Um, and I think what happened to him was outlandish. It was horrible. And I, I watched the video of it happening and I'm like, why the, what, what, why are they doing this to him? Why, you know, Jeremy is very good at getting the message out. He's one of those people, but he's a bit more reactionary than I am. Usually I try to keep it fun, you know, at least a little bit. Um, he's more dark humor, <laughs> you know, more light, but he, he, he is really good at getting that message out there and they're just like, bye. I mean, he's in Prague getting that message out here. You know, so I don't know what they're doing over there, but it, it seems like somebody has a really, that's another thing. There's a lot of behind the scenes backstabbing just because somebody might not like you. And I'm like, this is a waste of time and ridiculous. So there's all these people that purport to love liberty, but all they do is just cause more problems in the libertarian movement. And it's just, it's why I'm kind of like, but then, I, you know, that they're like, I get, you know, you go to the conservative party and you have all this backstabbing and hate as well. So in a very real sense, I feel politically homeless. Tell me this then. Say I'm somebody, <clears throat> I'm freedom curious. <laughs> I see one of your tweets and I'm like, that rings a bell. Then what do I do? Where do I go? If you, I mean, the, the way you're describing it, if I go to the libertarians who are supposed to be these advocates, I'm going to see just the same bullshit you see in the all political organizations you know so so where do you go it may seem cliche but go to a book you go to Mises you go to Rothbard you go to Hayek you go to all these men uh, who you know a liberal would probably say he's an old white guy you shouldn't listen to but yeah you need to start listening to these old white guys because they know what they're talking about uh, and the the people now you know look at who was it it was it wasn't um Yellen you know, she she said, what was it, back in like 2019, I think it was, she was like, we're not going to have any new financial crisis in our lifetimes. Well, that's some bullshit. I mean, <laughs> we, we definitely have a new financial crisis. How about that, Yellen? You know, so you definitely want to go back and listen to these guys, read up on these guys. And, and you know, Austrian economics is fantastic in that Really, I, I will be, you know, promote Austrian economics for the rest of my life, but Mises nailed it, you know. He he knew what could happen because he saw it himself, you know. Ledwig von Mises, not many people know this, but he was on the Nazi blacklist. They hated him. So, you know, 
basically so that means he was really telling you know them something they didn't like to hear and he had to run from them um margit and him had to hop on a train and run to i think it was switzerland don't quote me on that but um so yeah and then when they, they did come and they did raid his apartment and they took all of his paperwork and a, a funny story is he died thinking that all of his paperwork was lost pre World War II. Um, all of his work, all of his papers, all of his manuscripts, everything. He thought it was gone. So um, it was Richard Ebling and actually ended up in Soviet hands. So yeah, somehow it ended up in Soviet hands, but Richard Ebling and his wife found the papers and now they're sitting at, um, it's not Grove City College. Grove City has his after-war papers. It's Halesdale College. So they have his post so they, they were found, but, you know, imagine standing on principle your whole life, getting hated for it, getting hunted down for it, and dying thinking you lost all of your work, but you still stood on principle. And you know what? I think there's a quote that Misi said, I had to do something because I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't just stand there and watch it happen. So that's kind of like my thought process on it all, because it's like, I have three children. I just can't stand by and watch this all happen. You know, and I don't think enough people are focusing on that end goal. Like, do you guys see what's happening? Are you going to stop it? No. Okay. Well, you're having a fight in the corner. No. Okay. We need to stop this. And that that's how I kind of try to reapproach everything in a circle weekly. Like, okay, let's circle back to this. How are we going to stop this? Come on. What's this? And the Fed. What? Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Yes. I do want, I do want to end the Fed because, you know, uh, the Fed, uh, the Fed, Basically, what it does is it controls a lot of everything that's wrong in this world. You know, it's a blank check for Congress. It, it you know, it facilitates wars and destruction and inflation. It, it's, it's causing all of our problems right now. And it, it, it should, should have been abolished in 1913. Actually, if we could abolish 1913, I'd be very happy because we could take away the income tax as well. That would be fantastic. I would be so happy with that. But <laughs> tell you know, me something then. We let's say we end the Fed. You yeah, and me, that would be tomorrow glorious. morning, which ended. Now what? What? Because like, hey, let me just people say, say now what? But Thomas Sowell had the perfect response to this. Okay, Go on. Thomas Sowell said um, when somebody asked him when you, when you remove the Fed, what do you replace it with? Thomas Sowell said, well, when you remove the cancer, what do you replace it with? Nothing. I'm not talking about replacing it. I'm talking about what will place it because well that's for the market to decide it's not for me to decide it's not for you to decide it's the free market that needs to decide the free market and create the fed no not really well it's something it's a bunch of corrupt men who created the fed over at jekyll island which i have been to and is absolutely gorgeous and you know this is just so disgusting to me because i've actually been to fed buildings uh, you know, in the States and I've been to Jekyll Island where the federal reserve was created and these are gorgeous places and, and the most evil has been done there. And I can't understand that. I can't they, wrap my head around it. They call them cottages as well, don't they? Which is a cottages. I know there's, they're not cottages at all. They're massive. But they're uh, massive. Look, here, no, going back to end the fed, right? Because <clears throat> I listened to a really long podcast about the fed, um, couple of days no on the train coming to Prague when I was and because I really I I thought end the Fed is a is is too simple for me <laughs> I want to hear what someone in the you know from that world is going to 
is, is going to say. And his point was that the reason the Fed was created was to, and I know, I know all the free market theories here and how the, you know, the free market could solve all these things. But ending the Fed now would result in chaos because the Fed at the moment is serving a purpose, which is the lender of the last resort, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> which means that when shit's the fan, they just bail that shit out. And I know that's not good, but in the, sh- in the long run, but in the short run, it is possibly. You're just kicking the can down the road. Correct. But how do you end the Fed without ending? It's going to be painful. I'm not going to lie to you or anybody else, not to my followers. It will be painful. But you know what's coming is going to be a lot more painful. And it's coming up quick. If you notice housing and everything else, it, there's, I, I don't want to say, uh, Mises called it a crack-up boom. But a what? Crack-up boom. Cracker. Crack-up boom. Oh, okay. Like crack-up boom. Oh. You know, um, he had a German word for it, but I'm not going to attempt it. It was like, uh, it started with a K, I think. Uh, but anyway, um, so it's hyperinflation. And that's, you know, that's horrible. People starve. People will die. You know, we're already heading into, people say we're not in a recession. I firmly believe we are. All signs point to there. You know, food inflation is way higher than what they're reporting. So, you know, I I think we're there and I think it's happening. And by the time we get to the depression stage, people are going to be barely surviving. They're barely surviving right now. You know, sometimes I go on Instagram or TikTok and, you know, these, you know, college age kids are like, I just spent all my money for one day on rent, (laughs) you know, like they can't make it on their own. They can't. But okay. What's the, what's the practice of ending the Fed then? As in, how do you end the Fed? Like say, like, how do you, like, because otherwise, it's Thomas Massey who actually has a, a bill somewhere or proposition. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. I'd have to Google it, but it's, uh, to um, audit the Fed. So you can start by auditing it. That would be great, yes. Um, that because would be we don't know where all that money is going and coming, and it, it's a mess. And um, Is it true as well that you don't actually know who owns the Fed? Because the Fed is a private bank, a central I bank. Mean, you you kind of know, but you kind of don't. But you kind of don't know who the puppet strings are, but you kind of do. Who is it then? Who owns the Fed? It's like the Rockefellers and the Soros and, you know, everybody else who probably um, uses the Clinton, you know, everybody's paid off by everybody up there. You know, it's all one big, um, what what do they say? It's one big club and you're not in it. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of like it is. Now, I think one of the reasons why Elon is getting attacked so badly is because he's breaking away from that narrative. And he's forming his own path off to one side, and they don't like that very much. So they're throwing everything they can at him. That's certainly true. And so, the other person that obviously did that was Donald Trump. <clears throat> and I know, <clears throat> I, without giving too much away, I, I, have a form, I have a friend who works in very, let's say, amongst those kind of people. <laughs> and she has very intimate access to those kind of people for a reason I can't say. And one thing she told me once was, she said, sometimes you'll see 
a group of these people get together and they're people you wouldn't normally expect to be friends, but at that level, they are friends. Oh, yeah. And she said, but the only thing I know is that they all universally hate Donald Trump, which was really interesting. And uh, because I always thought when I saw, when Trump appeared, I was was like, oh, this guy. But actually what I liked about him, of course, was he, he really did not give a... Fuck, no, about, he didn't about that lot. He and, didn't, and it was that was fantastic. And yeah, I, I love that about him. I love. There were things I loved about Trump. My, the most disappointing thing about Trump, I would say, was he did the COVID stuff at the end of his term. That bothered me a lot. And then he didn't pardon Snowden, Assange, or Free Ross. So right. The the point is, he was a bit in the same vein as Elon. He didn't toe the line of that so-called sort of yeah. He made Hillary society. Clinton irrelevant. That was beautiful, right? Oh God, I, I don't like that. Lady so, but that does point to the fact that there really is an echelon of society that is has a deep history and that follows its own sets of strange oh, yeah. rules and does all these things. And I know that the Fed—it's like a cult. It's is, like written in stone somewhere. And they probably chiseled in Donald Trump, Donald Trump's name, you know, <laughs> boo, 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 boo. But, but he it, who shall not be named, you know, that that's what they've turned Trump into. They're just throwing stuff at him and hoping it sticks. And honestly, I'm just tired at this point. I'm exhausted. Like, I don't even care who wins the next election at this point. You know, I care about stocking ammo. At this point, that that's like, you know, I have bows, I have a gun and, you know, I need more arrows. I'm running low. They keep arrows. somehow. Yeah, I do. I, I actually do. I, I go bow hunting with my kids. Um, my son, actually, a few years back, he caught several raccoons and made himself mittens. I'm very proud of him for that. So he made his own. He, he took the skin off and everything and made his own mittens. So my kids are hardcore ready for the end times. <laughs> so... So what do you think is going to happen to Elon then? Because Elon is now, and, uh, you know, I've spoken to people about this on the podcast before, because he's, Elon's basically, like, in a way, you could look at it like this, right? Elon is planning to visit the next frontier before everyone else, i.e. space, Mm -hmm. and establish a colony there. And that's the ultimate, they can't do anything about that. No. No one can do anything about that. If If he's got enough money which he has, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be, they can't seem to take it off him, I don't know. And he can fly a rocket ship to Mars and set up a colony. They can make all the laws they want about our space, but there's nothing they can actually do about it. But wouldn't that be a great free cities project? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we, we do free cities, but in space. Well, it's the, it, it is the... They're talking about hotels well, in space by 2030. Did you read that article? No. Oh, yeah, they're talking, I'm like, well, that's a little soon, but it was, it might have been like 2040, but... I, I even thought that was soon, though. But, you know, I, I really think that there, there's two big things that a lot of people miss about, you know, free cities. It, it's that we don't have enough ocean. And we have all this ocean. We have all this space, you know, and we need to utilize both. But how can we do it? Well, people like Elon can definitely use the space. He can. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Space is the final frontier currently. Oh, we're going off Star Trek. No, but it, it really is. I know <laughs> yeah. it, it used to, I mean, it's not just a meme, it, meme, it really is. It's where you can go to try out new I have a deep love of Star Trek, just so you know. 
so yeah, it, it, it really is soft to my heart. So yes, I, I really think we should go to space and I think Elon can do that. And I hope he does that. And I hope he brings his project down to free cities at some point, because that would be cool. Well, I don't know whether he <coughs> really thinks Did that. I ever tell you how I got the job at free cities? I don't think we actually got that to that point. Uh, no. Yeah. It was actually Peter. Um, it, it was Robert Arrow who, um, recommended me for the position i don't know who robert arrow is he's econ circus on twitter that doesn't mean anything either. yeah <laughs> but but he he You're recommended here, he recommended peter and then peter remembered me from last year because i actually attended the um liberty in our lifetime event last year Did you? online yeah ah, right, online. surprise so um i loved it and i was looking for something but um so i applied for it and i was really excited and I really wanted the position, and then the day my interview rolls around, guess what happened? Isn't you had an appendicitis? Yeah, I had appendicitis. You told me <laughs> on the way up. Yeah, there. I was. I was. <laughs> I was telling you this, uh, but and that I had to message um, Peter and reschedule, and it was rough. But we T- did it. Tell me this then, right? As an outsider coming into this thing, <laughs> uh, liber- liberty stuff aside, what do you make of it all? What do you make of it? I think it's beautiful. Like, for even my Austrian econ side, this is what we should be doing. We need to be creating free societies across the world. We, we need, you know, what was it? Um, Hans Hermann Hoppe said we need thousands of Lichtensteins. We do. We need more of this across the world. You know, you want to be able to, you know, run into your president at the local grocery store. That, that's my opinion on it. We need more smaller communities that are free across the world. Because, you know, think about it right now. You, you see your local politician maybe when you go to the Hill, if you can get a meeting. No, you want to run into this guy at Walmart, you know? And I'm not advocating for bigger government. I'm advocating for smaller government in smaller areas, in smaller communities, in free communities. And, and I think that's the best way to move forward, Um because what, what we're doing right now, it just seems to be breaking us apart. Have you had any contact with the Free State Project in your history? Yeah. Um, New Hampshire, yeah. Yeah. What do you make of that? I, I like the Free State Project, but what they're doing to Jeremy right now is kind of shady. All right, forget that. Jeremy aside, side, but, you know, I, I, I like some of the stuff they've done over the years. I haven't personally been interested in it because it would mean up and moving my family and my whole, you know, if something came to Ohio or Kentucky, yeah, I would consider it as well. But, I mean, any lessons learned from watching what's happening and evolving? And it, you know, Is it a good strategy? Tell everyone to move somewhere and then, you know... I, I think it's more voluntary than anything. Like, I think oh, yeah. encouraging people to move somewhere is a bad idea, personally. That's my own personal opinion. Because then you're stuck. If it doesn't work out, you're, you're on the hook. Or they're trying to make you be on the hook, if that makes sense. So I think just telling people what you can offer them, what products you can give them, what freedom you can give them is enough selling point as it is. How is it where you live now? Well, I live in Ohio. Yeah. I don't know. I've never been to Hawaii. People think Ohio Ohio. doesn't exist. I like it that way. (laughs) What do you mean? I don't want people to come to Ohio. I want Ohio all to myself. What's what's it like? Is it is it how is it freedom minded? Is it? I mean, we hear about it's corn, like Texas, and, and <laughs> it's literally miles and miles of corn. You can you can drive five hours and still see corn. Uh, so I mean, 
I mean, it's Ohio. It's definitely during COVID. It was very tyrannical. Really? I was that the governor was horrible. Uh, even though he was right, he, how do you mean? He had lockdowns till the very end. He was one of the. We were one of the last states to lift lockdowns. One of the last states to lift masks. You know, it was just it, it got really bad after a while. Um, Is he still in now? Yeah. Really? Shockingly. So people like him. Yeah, I think no, it's Mike. No. I think named Dewine, Mike Dewine. Hmm. Trying to remember it off the top of my head. We're, let's keep in mind, folks. Natalie uh, hasn't slept in like twenty four hours. <laughs> So, okay, but you're still there. Yeah. You're not uh, a good uh, advert for voting with your feet. No. I hate voting. Voting with your feet, though. I hate voting, period. Like, not just voting. Well, well, voting with your feet, yeah, I know what you mean in that sense, like, moving. Yeah. Uh, And and I'm not so much voting. I'm more of, like, prepare for the worst and bunker down type person because that's what I see what's coming. Now, if, if it was peaceful times and, you know, we didn't have massive inflation and the Fed printing endlessly and the government's like starting one war after the next, I'd be like, yeah, let's vote with our feet. But no, I think now it's time we have to start preparing for what's coming. It's very possible that we could wake up this week and World War Three starts. Okay. Describe that timeline then. How does, how does World War Three reach you in rural Ohio? Oh, very easily. We have several military bases. They could be targeted at any time. Um, what about you on a personal level then? Why do you need to think about hunkering, bunkering down? I mean, I have three children. When you have three children, you want yeah, to protect Yeah, but who's them. going to invade Ohio? <laughs> or you never know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you never know. I mean, um, Ohio has a very big farmland population, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if they tried to disrupt that. You know, you kill off the food supply, you kill the people. Who's they? Anybody. At this point, I mean, it could be Russia, it could be Ukraine, it could be... Wait, who are we fighting with this week? I remember all of them no, right now. Honestly, honestly <laughs> Natalie, come on, think about this. Russia aren't about to come over to Ohio and invade. Ukraine's army is supported by America. What about Mexico? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they'll get into California or somewhere like that, and then they'll probably <laughs> stop. No. I mean... It, uh, it, we I, I actually mean, have a lot of immigrants coming um, from the borders and stuff. And Yeah, I'm sure. There, that, there's that. So, uh, And that's millions of people so far this year. But that aside, I mean, we have one war after the next after the next, and it's just getting tiring. I mean, I've lived my whole life in a perpetual state of war with these tyrants. So what you're worried that you're making so many enemies that <clears throat> America's the, making so many enemies. That's what I mean. Yeah. That the enemy from within may be your last and worst enemy. The people that you, you pissed off so many people, you end up looking around you and realizing everyone. You are you. the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's what I've been trying to point out all these years. Like, do you guys realize that bombing these people makes them hate us? They don't realize that. And they never will. I don't think they ever will. They enjoy it. Uh, it's some kind of power lust thing. Like they sit there and call Hamas horrible people for butchering what? 30 kids? How many people did Obama kill during war, uh, the, uh, sorry. The, 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 during his, his reign, I was going to say. His reign, <laughs> you know, his time as president. I wanted to say it was the, um, operation, 
I was going to say it was Operation Desert Storm, but that was Bush. I forgot his operation, but whatever his operation was. Um, You've been on a plane for 24 hours. Yeah, Not give me you. a second. <laughs> um, operation Enduring Freedom. Was that what it was called? I think it was. That's, <laughs> that's Orwellian, isn't it? Operation isn't it? Enduring, Enduring Freedom. freedom. Drop bombs for freedom. Drop bombs for freedom. We're going to free the book out of you. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, so I mean, there were... There were Oh, the war on terror. Yeah, that one too. They had different names for it. It was so stupid. But yeah, how many people did, you know, Obama kill? How many people did Bush kill? How many people did, well, Clinton didn't kill very many, actually. I think he only had one scruffle. His wife did, though. Well, yeah, but we won't count that. She wasn't president. And thankfully, I don't think she'll ever be president. That makes my heart so happy. Okay, so. <laughs> it really does. Hillary. So that's her nickname. Back to end the Fed then, because that's your core, your core thing, is it? Like, yeah. do you think you can change, you can cure all the world's ills? Well, not the world's. Well, with cleavage, I mean, it would make men live longer. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but ending the Fed is because, like, for example, for me, I'm a Bitcoiner. I think that a Bitcoin standard will cure all these things, right? I, I really do think that uh, over a 250-year you know, time scale, it probably would. What about, what's your thing? Like, do you really think ending the Fed would do that? Well, I think there are several ways you can end the Fed. One is, you know, competing currencies. It's a good way to do it. Um, I do like Bitcoin. I think it can be used to you know attack the fed and i think it's a great step as long as we make sure that the federal reserve doesn't come back with um cb uh cbdc's cbdc's yeah well it will almost certainly well yeah they're trying to but I, wasn't that just blocked i think it was i'm not 100 percent sure but I, so so that's one way yeah it's the competing currency idea another way is you know audit and then end the Fed, when you find out how horrible it is. Um, another way is, you know, Black Lives Matter could, we could call the Fed racist and Black Lives Matter could, you know, do their thing. And then we just come in and so salt the earth. So hopefully nobody tries to build there again. You know, it's it's an evil spot. So we just take down, I mean, there's there's several ways we can go about it. But but uh, honestly, I think the most practical is Bitcoin right now and competing currencies and gold and silver. Well, uh, almost certainly when you think about the Fed's power, like all central banks' power, their power is in the ability to create money. Oh, yeah. It allows you to do absolutely anything, really. Cause you, so if you can't so create many people, money, yeah, so then, many. then that presumably does defund the Fed and essentially... Yeah. Well, no, the problem right now and what we're having is with all of this is that the Federal Reserve is the least dirty shirt in the laundry and everybody has them. You know, it's like a universal thing. Everybody's fine with it. So that's the problem we would have ending any kind of Fed right now or having anybody on board with it in those circles. So, yeah, that, that's where we're at. So I, I think it definitely will take a total collapse of the dollar for people to finally wake up to how evil the Federal Reserve is. And, and that's going to be painful, and that's why, you know, I've been prepping my kids for God knows how many years because it's coming. Well, dollar hyperinflation is, when you think about it, I mean, it's, 
of all the hyperinflations, it's the one that's going to happen last. Because, yes. because there's I a lot of... I completely agree with that. The, the, the amount of dollar liquidity that the world can soak up currently mm-hmm. m- means that that's all impossible as far as I'm concerned. That, that, but if people start stopped using the dollar as frequently in various markets around the world... You could argue that that might happen. Well, you see bricks over here. Yeah, but what? what a, but they'll they'll just create a competing currency, which is your you know. So you'll end one Fed and and then another. Then you'll be. Yeah, but that's their the, problem over there. Over uh, here, we have the Fed, you know, yeah, having a be, lot of issues because they're not using that money anymore. But so. wouldn't you then just be beholden to a foreign Fed at that point? I mean, you'll you'll be like a no, co- not I, if you start with like you know promoting your competing currencies in your country like Bitcoin. Which would be phenomenal. Which would be fantastic. I would be on board with that. What's interesting, actually, in, with regards to that now in America, is there are quite a number of, well, like you've got a presidential candidate in Robert Kennedy saying he'll, he's a, he's a Bitcoiner. You've got various, I mean, this has never happened before. You know, like yeah. to, the thought, if you'd have said five years ago that there'd be a presidential candidate on a Bitcoin, Bitcoin. ticket, yeah. that, that would have been a real like, wow, well, we're moving. Who fast. wasn't Ron Paul? <laughs> you know, he was as well, wasn't he? He was. I, I don't. I'm. I'm. I think he. Uh, Bitcoin was just getting started, but he was. Oh, awful. no. He. He talked. I know a lot of people that found out about Bitcoin through Ron Paul. Yeah, because he was the one that talked about. Well, the Mises Institute were early adapters too. Adopters. Yeah. Adapters. Adapters. That's the thing you plug your phone into. Uh, adopters. <laughs> You know what? Give me a second. Okay. Literally 24 hours. Like it was like 5 a.m. like two days ago. It was the last time I slept. Okay. <laughs> I think you're doing really well. <laughs> Thank you. We've almost ended the Fed just over lunch. <laughs> we almost ended the Fed. <laughs> we got this. <laughs> just give Natalie some Turkish coffee and let her go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. I mean, we are we're over an hour look we've no we've that, done good we have done good look i've I, lasted this long i've i vowed because <laughs> i'm doing so many interviews here i vowed to be doing one hour each but um i, I think this is quite a fun conversation so okay. why, why shouldn't we carry on yeah. um you are a second generation homeschooler i am tell me about that tell well, me first of all why did your mother was it or father homeschool my you. mom your mom homeschool you oh okay this is a very strange story and it will probably like freak some people out but uh i i did go to public school um I, it was in elementary school so elementary school was like kindergarten to like fifth grade um back when i was a kid and uh it was i think in first grade um my gym teacher had a heart attack right in front of the whole school in the gym. And um, I was very upset about it being a little kid, but I was, you know, religious as a kid as well. And so a couple of me and the kids did a prayer circle in the school, and they didn't like that very much. Um, You know, this was during a time when, excuse me, in public schools, prayer wasn't really accepted at least in our areas. Um, so my mom didn't like that very much. And then next year she decided to homeschool. Now keep in mind, my mom is very religious. She's much more religious than me. And, um, so I, I grew up basically your, you know, dressmaking, long hair. I, I don't know. I almost became a nun. Let's just go there. 
I would have made a horrible nun. Let's just put that out there. Was it a religious upbringing? It was. I was Episcopalian, um, but I also went to Catholic Mass with both my grand, my great grandmother, and my grandmother. Uh, my great grandmother actually passed when I was in my twenties, so my kids knew him. So her, and so it was. She was. She was their great great grandma. So we had you know many generations there, and that was fantastic for them and me over the years because I got to hear a lot of stories. But, um, yeah, so, so that incident happened and my mom homeschooled and then it was about seventh grade and I was like, you know what, mom, uh, I'm going to go try to go back to public school. My mom was on board with it. And, um, so I went back to public school for two more years and I was like, this is horrible. This is horrible. I was like, I hated it. Why? It was not people teaching. It was breaking up fights. It was getting jumped, you know, it was food fights in the cafeteria. It was just such a waste of time in so many areas where if I was homeschooled, I could just go to the library and read a book. And, you know, I said, mom, you know what? I'll make a deal with you. If you homeschool me again, I will graduate by 16. Oh, I graduated by 16. I was in college like a week later. So I was able to do it. And then I was like... Um, when, when I had my son, I actually had my son very young. Uh, I did. Um, I had him at 19, but, um, I, I made a promise. I said, you know what? I'm going to homeschool my kids too. If they want to go to public school, that's fine. They can go to public school. Um, so it's, their choices were basically public school or homeschool because, you know, I, private school is just too much. It was out of my budget at the time. So, um, have you got a particular what method of I talk a lot about homeschooling on this podcast and after a while you realize there's a lot of different ways of doing it there is unschooling there's no right way well no everyone has a right way I think everybody has their own right way but for me I was middle of the road between book schooling reading going to a lot of field trips like a lot we would go to science center art museums art museum is one of our favorite we go there all the time road trips uh you know actually it's kind of funny but on the way here i was um tweeting to my uh 15 year old because actually my my 16 year old son he already graduated high school um so he's done um but my 15 year old she's still in school so i was texting her pictures of my flight on the way here and i was like tell me where i am what ocean is that you know, how much longer do I have? Calculate that. You know, it, it's just a matter of com- always engaging your children. And you don't see that in public schools. You see teachers bringing up fights. You see them not doing the appropriate amount of teaching, all this stuff, or teaching just to take tests. So, um, yeah. So you're very much a proactive I, homeschool. I am, but at the same time, I'm one of those moms who's like, um, yeah, the gym cl- counts as gym class or whatever, <laughs> you know, baking counts as home ec. Okay, let's go make some brownies. So <laughs> that, that, it's, it's, a, it's a balance between the two. Well, the, the truth in my experience was finding out that um, you can homeschool, even the official way, even school at home for like 25 minutes a day tops and, and they'll do... They'll they'll pass everything with flying colours. Exactly. Um, so baking, it's shocking. Baking a, a cake can you can fit 
all this stuff in. I mean, yeah, there's I, a, it's a very inefficient way to to learn going to school for sure. That 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 much I do know. Um, yeah. Ha- saying that, however, my kids really love going to school. I mean, that's there, fine there's too. No, there's no fights at school, yeah. you know. Like, but, but you're in a totally different country. <laughs> I know, <laughs> Let's just I go know. there. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think education is treated differently around the world. You know, but I can tell you for America right now, homeschooling is probably one of the best, especially now after COVID. Um, I will tell you though that the state of Ohio, where I homeschool, so for the last like eight or so. It's been 11 years that I've been homeschooling, total, I believe. And um, each year we had to give an assessment uh, done by a professional teacher of their schoolwork at the end of the year, or they could test. Um, it didn't matter which. Usually I just chose the assessment. Is that by law? By law. Hmm. That's how it was all these years. Hmm. And then, um, and that that was fine with me. You know, we, we did our assessments. They were, oh, the kids always did good. No issue, and then COVID hit, and they stopped doing the assessments. So it's been three years, and now officially they made a law this year that the kids no longer have to get, uh, get an assessment to graduate to the next level every year. Now it's just you Is give that, a letter of intent that you're homeschooling, and that's it. Okay, so that's for only homeschoolers. That doesn't include only people who are at school. They no. still do exams and this exams and, that. and all this craziness. But you know. I definitely do want the kids to find out where they are, so maybe I will still have them do tests, testing over the years. Um, my son, though, he did want... I could have just... In the state of Ohio, you can just hand your kid a diploma and say, here, you graduated. Um, my son didn't want to do that, as weird as it sounds. He actually wanted to go get his GED just to see where he ranks among his peers. Hmm. He passed at college level. Pretty much everything. So... You know, homeschooling kids, they consistently are more polite, better adjusted, and they rank higher above their peers. I mean, my son's been working a job for a year now. No issues, and his coworkers love him. Did so. you have any – I know that one of the one of the most common um, criticisms levied at homeschooling <laughs> is socialization of kids. Yeah, look how Did horrible ever, I am with that, with no, 80,000 followers know, on Twitter. What about, what about your kids? <laughs> Have you, is, what's your answer to that? Like, did, did, like they've got no friends to mix with on a daily basis, etc. That's a total lie because, you know, my kids, my daughter does horse farming work with other kids. Um, my youngest did, did both, both my youngest and my middle did Taekwondo. Um, my son did Boy Scouts and he did um, Civil Air Patrol. I mean, they, they, they do all kinds of activities. I'm trying to think of them all. I can't remember everything. But, you know, they always have time to interact with other kids. And then there's the kids on your street. Hmm. I mean, can we just get back to playing with the kids on our street? You know, I did that growing up. So there's all these opportunities to just mingle that even I, as a homeschooling kid, never had. You know, they, they didn't have all these homeschooling programs. It's so advanced these days. They, they, yeah, they have the homeschooling programs, workshops, all these things where kids can just mingle and hang out. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. My kindergartner is actually getting into a nature group. What have they ended up kids. going on to? You said your two of them have graduated, right? No, my 15-year-old's still in school. Right. So she is into robotics. So she's doing that right now. Um, my 16-year-old, actually, he... <laughs> 
well, he's 17 now, but um, he graduated at 16 and then he got a job. He was thinking about going into college, but now he's kind of leaning more Air Force, which is against my judgment and I don't really approve of it, but I love him anyway. So I'm just going to let it happen. I mean, his dad was Air Force, his grandpa was uh, 82nd Airborne, uh, his great-grandpa served in World War II, I believe. So it's like in their blood, I think, at this point, for those men to go off and fight or do whatever. That really is a curveball, isn't it? It is. It's like, <laughs> you met Hoppe when you were like 11. Why are you joining the military? Literally, I have a picture of him with Hans Hermann Hoppe, and it's like, why are you joining the military? But, you know... And then, you know, I thought about it more in Ledwig von Mises. He served in the military. Hayek served in the military. All these men did serve in the military, too. Well, presi- Ron I mean, Paul himself served in the military. Yeah, yeah. Going I mean, to, he was going to be drafted, but... But, I mean, going to fight is something you do. In a, it can come from a place of wanting to help. You want to go, I mean, you know, you want to go and protect... It doesn't necessarily mean you want to go abroad and bomb foreign people. You know? Yeah, but have you ever like read All Quiet on the Western Front? No. Oh, you haven't read that book? You could name a million books I haven't read, Natalie. Okay, it's on Netflix. Let's start there. I don't watch telly, unfortunately. Don't watch what? TV. I know. I, I listen to podcasts. It's weird. Give me. There's probably a, okay. You need to find All Quiet on the Western Front on on podcast and download it, please, because okay. it is it is a fantastic war movie. Because at one point he he says um, one of the characters says to another one. I can't remember the names off the top of my head, but he says, "How can you be my enemy? You, you're just the same as me. You have the same thoughts of fear of death and same fear of dying and so on and so forth. So how can you be my enemy? And and it's like. The common man isn't the enemy of the common man. The people who should be going and fighting and dying in these wars are the people who start them, which are our leaders. Hmm. And then you'll watch wars end real quick after that. So that that's my view on that. And, and personally, it, it, it's a really big thing for me because I've watched so many good men over the years just get destroyed by war and come back home with PTSD, um, Missing limbs, missing arms. Um, friend of mine, he's missing both of his legs. So it's it's just horrible what war does to people. I, Jeff Deist actually has a good quote, and um, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but he's like, basically, war makes us the worst type of people because it makes us accept atrocities. And, and that's true. Hmm. War makes us the worst. Makes makes us complacent. Why do we go to war then, or why do why do we why do people go to war? When, I mean, I I don't know. Maybe your average person doesn't think like that. They don't realize patriotism. You know, uh, uh, maybe a love for one's country. But honestly, if another World War Three starts, they're going to need a draft. These men won't sign up. This is a different generation than, you know, our grandfather's generation who just, you know, went to war during World War One and World War Two, who, sure. who just volunteered themselves. Mm. But, yeah, this is a much different generation. And these men aren't going to be, sure, have so many draft dodgers, it won't even be funny. But, yeah, you know, pray for peace. That's, that's the biggest thing because no country really thrives in wartime. There'd be rationing and everything. 
It's horrible. And the Fed. Yeah. And the podcast. I might do that as well. That would be good. I maybe can take we a shouldn't nap. end. Maybe we shouldn't no. end on a bad note. Let's let's give me your most positive take on the future. Even the future in which you're bunkering down and buying ammo and hauling up in your citadel, ready to attack. Like, what is positive? What, what, <laughs> don't tell me you haven't got anything positive to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, uh, you know. Look, listen, all right then. Think of it like this. I'm, I sound like I'm talking to ChatGPT now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Say you were tweeting out the most positive thing you could. How would you? How would you construct a tweet that would that would inspire people that it's all going to be okay? That we have innovation still happening in this country, and all all around the world. I mean, that, that's something that's really beautiful, and something that really drew me to free cities, actually. Because I want, I want, I love how you know people are actually trying to think about <clears throat> these new projects and new startups that are trying to free people, and that's what we need to be do. So it's all this innovation that that's making me just hopeful. It's giving me some hope back into my life, and that that uh, I think that's something that we all need. So that, that's my inspiration. Well, Natalie, thank you for speaking. <clears throat> you can now go and lie down and go to sleep <laughs> because you've got a busy schedule ahead I think yeah I was about to say my night's not done <laughs> well not today no but um, um yeah yeah good luck with that and um good luck at the free cities happy to have you around thanks for having me I really and, like you guys you're awesome and good luck with your you're doing a speech are you or are you hosting a panel i'm it? hosting a panel but there's a bunch of stuff in between that i'll be getting done in the next couple of days so well i look forward to watching you thank and you. thanks for coming on the podcast thank you thanks for having me mm-hmm.